Go ahead and be uh, opening your uh, Bibles to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, this morning I'm going to continue the uh, uh, sermon series we've been in for uh, a number of weeks now uh, entitled Blessed... Oh, before I go any further, thank you, Jonathan. We want to dismiss our children uh, for their children's worship. I did want them to remain to hear the young people, but now we do want to dismiss them. If we have a guest and uh, you have children, they are more than welcome to participate. You see, it's just as simple as releasing them to the vestibule. Our leadership collect them there, and they go directly below us uh, for their children's worship. In that same area, we also have a, a full nursery for uh, the real little ones, and so please take advantage of that if there is a need as well. Well, as I mentioned, uh, we're going to continue our series, Blessed Are the uh, Persecuted. Uh, we have been uh, looking at uh, various uh, Bible characters who suffered hostility for their faith to learn from them, to learn how God not only uses perse persecution in our lives, but how we're to respond when we experience hostility for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this morning, we come to a new character, and that is uh, Peter. Uh, in this series, we've uh, looked at five Old Testament characters, Joseph, David, Jeremiah, Daniel, and last Sunday, we concluded Nehemiah. And now we're going to look at uh, Peter that we'll focus on uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. And after next Sunday, I'll need to bring this uh, sermon series to a conclusion uh, with the uh, holiday season and the special events that we uh, have. I was hoping to actually uh, do a few more Bible characters, but uh, we'll have to let everything conclude with uh, good old Peter. But what a wonderful place to uh, conclude uh, this uh, sermon series. And I hope you picked up a copy of the sermon notes. Uh, we, I've entitled this, A Fiery Trial and How to Endure It, uh, Learning to Shine, uh, Not Wine. Now, uh, just a couple of things about Peter. Uh, to remind ourselves before we uh, look at this First Peter 4 passage where I want us to put our focus. Uh, Peter was a, uh, as you know, a rugged fisherman. And he was not only chosen to be uh, one of the uh, 12 disciples of Jesus, but he became the uh, spokesman uh, for the 12. And I might add, he became the spokesman uh, of the 12, whether the other 11 really liked it or not. Uh, I think most of you are pretty familiar with uh, Peter. He's a very passionate individual, uh, devoted and loyal. But he was equally uh, prideful and at times very stubborn. And at other times he could be very, very obnoxious. Uh, Peter was one of those individuals where he may not have always been right, but he certainly was never in doubt. Uh, matter of fact, you uh, know that on several occasions, he actually had the audacity to try to correct Jesus, as if he knew better. And uh, that was sort of the type of guy that, that he was. But you couldn't help love uh, Peter because of that, uh, that devotion and that, that, that commitment. Uh, like I said, he made a lot of mistakes, but he, he made it with a good heart trying to do uh, the right thing. And of course, his biggest problem was what? confidence in his resolve and in his strength, but that was all shattered the night that he denied his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You'll remember 
that Peter, I mean, Jesus tried to warn Peter that, hey, Satan is after you. But you remember what uh, Peter responded? Very boldly, as if he was immune to temptation. He said, oh, Lord, uh, with you, what? I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go both to prison and even death if necessary. And knowing that pride and self-reliance come before the fall, uh, Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him not once, but three times. Uh, After Peter's third denial, we read in Luke 22, verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Remember, uh, he was in one of those mock uh, trials where that made a mockery out of justice. He was in a courtyard area. Peter was way back at a distance uh, where he could see what was going on. And the moment he denied Jesus three times, Jesus literally turned and their eyes met at a distance. And Peter, says, remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Can you relate to that? I think every believer can. There have been times in all of our lives whereby our actions we have denied Jesus, where we have become overcome with guilt and shame. Uh, That's when Satan is at his best uh, to just heap condemnation on us as if we're beyond the point of no return, beyond uh, God's uh, recovery. And that's uh, the place that Peter uh, came to. Uh, Peter became totally broken under the weight of his guilt and shame. When Jesus was nailed on the cross, it was as if those nails were driven through Peter's heart. And when Jesus died and was buried, it was as if Peter's hope had died with Jesus, had been buried with Jesus. And Peter plunged into depression. He, depr- he plunged into uh, terrible darkness. Uh, he believed, as I mentioned, that Recovery was, was gone forever until the glorious resurrection of Christ. When Peter was told the words of the angel at the empty tomb, Peter, the angel said, he is risen. Go tell his disciples and Peter. What a precious grace of Jesus to single out Peter in light of his design. He's risen. Go tell of his disciples and Peter. Peter's hope was resurrected with Christ because it was then that Peter realized Christ was his only hope, that apart from Christ, he could do nothing. But through the resurrected Christ, he could do all things. And then came Peter's encounter with the resurrected Christ, which is recorded in John chapter 21. And there, Jesus gave Peter a very simple commission that consumed the rest of his life. He said, Peter, I want you to care. I want you to tend for my lambs. I want you to shepherd my flock, shepherd my sheep. Now that Peter had been rescued 
by God's grace and restored to hope in Christ, he no longer desired to be king of the mountain. He became a lowly servant, and with great love, he shepherded God's flock. He eventually died a martyr, asking to be crucified upside down, believing he was not worthy to be crucified as his master had been crucified. And what is Peter's life's message? Listen, because maybe someone here needs this today. There is hope beyond failure. Because what Jesus did for Peter, he can do for you. Amen? Amen. Now, moving into the subject of our, this sermon series, the reason I selected Peter uh, to be a part of our series on persecution is not only because of his uh, personal example of going from being a denier to, to Christ to being a martyr for Christ, but the fact that he wrote the New Testament book of 1 Peter, in which the primary purpose of the book is to prepare God's people for persecution. When Peter wrote 1 Peter, the madman Nero was the Roman emperor, and hostility towards the Christian faith was rapidly escalating in the Roman Empire. Uh, Christianity had not yet been officially declared illegally, illegal, but the stage was definitely being set for that, and Peter knew it. Uh, Peter knew that followers of Christ would soon suffer severe persecution, imprisonment, and even martyrdom. Uh, matter of fact, this is when Peter himself was martyred uh, by Nero shortly after he wrote First and Second Peter. Peter wrote first Peter to teach believers how to respond to the coming storm, to how to respond to the impending persecution. We cannot look at, at the entire book, but of course I, I do want us to focus here on chapter 4, on verses 12 through 19, which I believe is the very heart of the book and uh, Peter's teaching related to how we're to relate to uh, persecution. So, uh, I hope you have your Bibles open there, and let's just read these verses first, and then uh, I'll have time just to sort of give us a taste of this section, and then we'll finish it up uh, next week. Verse 12 of 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. And again, in the context of the book, he's specifically referring to persecution. This escalating hostility towards the Christian faith. And he says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. By no means that any of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not 
feel ashamed. But in that name, let him glorify God. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So following your sermon notes, and the first point that you see there that uh, Paul drives home to believers in terms of how to, re- to relate to uh, persecution is simply expect suffering. We are to expect suffering. We shouldn't be surprised by it, in other words. It's going to be a part of the Christian experience. Inescapable, Peter is saying. Again, going back to verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. There are two inescapable realities every Christian must face. And the first one is, I live in a fallen world. A world that's been spoiled by sin. A world that's not right. And as you see there in your notes, Romans 8.20, for the creation itself was subjected to futility. In other words, when sin entered the world, it infected creation itself. And yes, we see the magnificent beauty in creation, but we also see what? Destruction and devastation in creation. Everything's thrown out of whack. There's disorder. There's hurricanes. There's tornadoes. There's horrific storms. There's now disease and there's death uh, in this world. And as Christians, we're not immune to any of those things. We're not immune to natural uh, uh, disasters. Uh, We're not immune to disease. We're not immune to death. So I have to face the fact that I live in a fallen world. And living in a fallen world, I'm going to be touched by that. And it's going to be painful, but I should not be surprised. And I can trust God even in that. But also, the other reality is I live in a world that crucified my Lord. John 15, 20, Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will what? They're also going to persecute you. Did Jesus do anything to deserve persecution? No, he was was the embodiment of love, of compassion, of extending mercy to mankind. So why was he persecuted? Why was he crucified? Because Jesus confronted mankind with the moral absolutes of God. And they didn't want to submit to those absolutes. Jesus also said, I'm the only way to heaven. There is no other road. There is no other way. And they didn't like that either. They didn't want to, again, give up their autonomy. To have to submit to him as Lord. To follow him. And then, of course, the other reason was the very light of his life exposed the darkness of people's sin. He made them feel uncomfortable because of the conviction that was brought to their hearts. And it's going to be the same with a believer, a true follower of Christ, and with the church. 
we're going to be persecuted in the society in which we live because we declared there are moral absolutes to which all men will be held accountable. We proclaim Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and there is no other way to the Father but through Him. And like in Jesus' day, they don't want to give up their autonomy. They do not want to surrender to Jesus to follow Him as Lord. And then like Jesus, the light of our lives will be used to expose the darkness of their sin. And they find it easier rather than to own up to their sin to what? Try to eradicate the light. Matter of fact, uh, go back in 1 Peter 4. Just to point this out, look at uh, verses 3, 4, and 5. 1 Peter 4. It says, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. So what he's doing, he's talking about their former life before they came to know Jesus. Having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And in all of this, they, who are the they? Unbelieving people that they used to run with, that they used to participate in these things with. And in all of this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excess of precipitation. And they malign you. But they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So again, we see this reality that our light exposes darkness. This makes people very uncomfortable. Therefore, they attack, they malign, they scorn, they ridicule, try to eliminate the Christian position so that they can continue to live as they desire without any resistance, without any uh, conviction whatsoever. Now, in light of these two inescapable realities, I live in a fallen world, and I live in a world that crucified Jesus, Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, as though some strange thing were happening to you. I think of James chapter 1, verse 2. Most of you here are familiar with that portion of Scripture where he says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. It's amazing that in this one verse, James points out three truths that really reinforces uh, Peter's admonition to expect suffering. The first thing that James says is that trials, suffering, it's all that's inevitable. James did not say if, but when you encounter various trials. If you are in a trial right now, you're in the rule, not the exception. And if you get through the trial that you're presently in, take heart. There's just going to be a lot more right around the corner. That's just the reality of living in this fallen world. But James also says trials are unpredictable. The word encounter that he uses, you will encounter various trials, is peripipto in the Greek text. And it literally means to fall into without warning. Very seldom do you have the ability to anticipate the trials and difficulties that you're going to encounter in life. In most cases, you're totally blindsided. And this is exactly what happened to these believers that he was writing to in 1 Peter. They were blindsided by the hostility, blindsided by the persecution. They didn't see it coming. 
And that's why they had become alarmed and were, were in fear and anxiety and just running to, in retreat. And Paul says, Peter says, no, 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 wait a minute. Don't be surprised by this. You should have expected this. You should have expected this. And then he says, trials are varied in kind. Uh, James, uses, James uses the term various trials. Various in the Greek text is a fascinating word. It literally means multicolored, like a kaleidoscope. Uh, problems come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, they vary in intensity. They vary in duration. Some are minor inconveniences. Some are major crises. And some are, as Peter says, fiery ordeals. Now, going back to 1 Peter 4, Peter is saying a follower of Christ is to expect persecution. You're to expect to be ridiculed for your faith. You're to expect to be scorned, mocked. There will be consequences that are not very pleasant in obeying and following Jesus. And that's why Jesus was very upfront when he called people to himself. He says, this is not going to be an easy life. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And a cross was what? They only knew it as an instrument of death. Listen to how chapter 4 begins you want to look at it, you can. Listen to how chapter 4, the very first words of chapter 4 reads this way. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Look at that again. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose purpose. The phrase translated arm yourselves, you might want to circle that in your Bibles, is the word hoplizo in the Greek text. It is a verb. It is an action word that requires you to do something. The word was used. This is how the word was used in New Testament days. It was used of a Greek soldier putting on his armor and taking up his weapons to go into battle. Peter is saying when persecution comes, that is not the time for believers to retreat, but with a soldier's mentality, with a soldier's resolve, we are to fight. We're to fight for the same purpose for which Jesus lived his life, for which Jesus died. And what was the purpose for which Jesus lived and died? Well, to answer that is very, very easy. If you look at, again, that first verse of chapter 4 again, what's the very first word of chapter 4? Therefore. So he's referring to what he has just said in chapter 3, and that therefore is referring back very specifically to chapter 3, verse 18, which reads this way, this way, For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Christ lived, 
suffered and died in order to bring the lost to God. And as followers of Christ, we too are to live, suffer, and if necessary, if called upon to die to reach the lost for Christ. In other words, no matter how difficult things may get, this is what, exactly what Peter is saying, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how hot that fire ordeal becomes, we are never to compromise living and sharing the gospel of Christ. We're never to retreat. We're always to go forward advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ, regardless of the cost, regardless of the price, with an uncompromising faith, like a soldier The completion of the mission is the most important thing. And what is our mission? The commission that we've received from our master, from our Lord, to what? Go. Go into the world. Share the gospel. Live it. Share it. And that actually reads, in your going. In other words, as you go about living your life, whether it's in your neighborhood or in the workplace or at school or on that team, whatever it is, in your going, in your relating to others, your mission is to live out the gospel of Jesus so they can see the reality of Jesus in you to provide the opportunity for you to give a witness, to be able to share the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and the offer of forgiveness and new life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Apostle Paul expressed this very sentiment, as well as any other place in the Scripture that you'll find in Acts 20, verse 24. Listen to this magnificent verse. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I invite you to be a soldier of the cross, where yes, suffering in this life is inescapable, but where the reward in the next will be indescribable. Remember, no matter the depth of your past failures, you can always have a new beginning. After all, Peter, who wrote these words, denied Jesus three times and went on to become one of the greatest soldiers in church history, who was martyred for his uncompromising allegiance to Christ. And this brings us to our second point in your notes. We're not only to expect suffering, Peter says we're to exult or rejoice in suffering goes back to what we shared last week where when suffering comes when persecution comes the admonition throughout the scripture especially in the new testament is rejoice you're blessed celebrate throw a party now what peter does in verses 12 13 and 14 He gives five incentives, five reasons we are to rejoice when suffering comes. Why we're not to crumble, but we're to stand strong in the grace of God. And this morning we'll just uh, look at this first incentive and then uh, we'll pick it up uh, after this point next week to uh, finish this message out. So look at that first incentive, suffering is God's refining fire to test 
my faith and purify my life. Suffering. And in the context, of course, it's specifically persecution. God uses persecution, but not only persecution, as we've said from the beginning of this uh, sermon series, everything that we state related to persecution equally applies to any adversity that you experience in life, any suffering, any trial. And so he's saying persecution, suffering, difficulties in life, that they're God's refining fire, God's refining fire to test my faith and to purify my life. In 1 Peter 4.12, Peter speaks of the fiery ordeal, which notice that phrase, which comes upon you for your testing, for your testing. Fiery ordeal, fiery ordeal, that phrase right there in verse 12 is the identical term that was used of a fiery furnace where they would put uh, metal in that to melt that metal down in order to purge it of all impurities. When metal is subjected to intense heat and melts, all the impurities rise to the top. And it's very easy then to remove those impurities. The same is true in our lives. This isn't difficult for us to understand. We've all, we've all experienced this. When the heat is turned up through a fiery trial, when the heat is turned up through adversity or suffering, through things that irritate us in life or provoke us in life, whatever it might be, our impurities become exposed. We hit that trial, we hit that difficulty, we hit that suffering, and all of a sudden we're faced with lack of faith, anxiety, selfishness, pride, anger, resentment, discouragement that we could go on and on and on. But that is God's way to expose those impurities and give us then the opportunity to go to God to remove the impurities to purify our lives. Listen to these verses. None of these verses are in your sermon notes. If you want to just jot down the references, I'll try to give them to you and then, uh, and then just listen as I share them with you. The first is Psalm 6610. Psalm 6610. For thou hast tried us, O God. Thou hast refined us as silver is refined. Proverbs 17.3. Proverbs 17.3, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord refines hearts. The Lord refines hearts. Job 23, verse 10. Job 23, verse 10. You're familiar with the sufferings of Job. You're familiar with his pain. You're even uh, probably more familiar with how he was perplexed in his pain. He, didn't, he couldn't see what God was doing. Matter of fact, he got very angry at God, railed against God in his pain. But he made this statement in the midst of his struggle. He says, but he, God, he, he knows the way I take. And maybe it's important for me to give you the, the verse right before this. Job says, hey, I look forward. I can't see God. Where is he? I look back. I don't see him. I look to the right. I look to the side. I look... God seems gone. He seems absent. And that's what he's struggling with. Where are you when I need you most? But he says this, but he, 
I, I might be lost. I might not can see him. But he, he sees. He knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And you remember, this became true of Job. Because if you go to the very last chapter, it's very, very precious. He said, before this suffering, before the affliction, before the fiery ordeal, oh, I knew a lot about you, God, up here. I could state a lot of truth about you. It was probably not my equal on planet Earth. But now, as a result of the fiery ordeal, my eyes have seen you. He says, now there's an intimacy with God that I never knew prior to the fiery ordeal, because that fiery ordeal brought up all the stinking impurities in my life. They were exposed before you, giving me the opportunity to confess that, to turn to you, and to give you the opportunity to do a fresh work in my life, to teach me just how dependent I am on you, to create in me a desperation for you, that would create a determination to follow you. And then Psalm 105. Psalm 105, verses 17 through 19. Psalm 105, verses 17 through 19. This relates to Joseph, the first character we studied in this series. He says, Joseph was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons. Remember we talked about those 13 long, long years of suffering. Most of those years spent in prison, in irons, in fetters. But then it says, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord refined him. That imprisonment was not meant to destroy Joseph, but to build up Joseph and to make him to become the man that God desired him to be. And have not we seen that in every Bible character we've looked at? What did God do with David after he gave him the promise, I'm going to make you king? He made him a fugitive on the run for over 10 years in the wilderness. That's how he prepared him as king, to break him. Remember where we talked about that, where he, had, he got so low, he had no place to look but what? Up. And where he got to the place where more important than escaping that stinking cave that he was in, the cave of Adullam, was to glorify God, was to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And God used those ten long years of suffering to forge the very steel of Christ's character in that man. We saw this in Jeremiah, over five decades of ministry where he saw no results, where he struggled with depression, struggled with discouragement, struggled with disappointment. God was using that to what? We saw this, drive Jeremiah to God, to know intimacy, to get close with God, to know God's heart. And that why, that's why we know Jeremiah as the one prophet that probably captured the very heart of God more than any other prophet in the Scriptures. Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, the lion's den. Nehemiah. Nehemiah just wanted to do a good work, but the moment he began that good work, what? Opposition on every side that God used to drive this man to him. And then listen to these magnificent verses. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, 
verses 2 and 3. For he, God, is like a refiner's fire. And he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. It's very obvious that Peter had to have been thinking of those very verses when he wrote 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Why? That the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, purified by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We referred to James earlier. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Why consider it joy? Why rejoice? James goes on to say, knowing that the testing of your faith produces something. It produces character. It produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. You know, I think of soldiers who go through rigorous training. This past Thanksgiving, we had some uh, soldiers that... Uh, had the opportunity to spend Thanksgiving with us. We, it was an honor to host them. Some of them were going through RASP training to be, become rangers. Others were going through uh, airborne training. Uh, and in that training, by design, they are forced to experience hardship. They're even deprived of times of food and rest. They are pushed to the very limits of physical and emotional endurance. Why? Is the goal to destroy our soldiers? No, of course not. The goal is to build an army that will be ready for the hardships of battle, who will not falter in the face of the enemy, but persevere unto victory. Beloved, God, too, is building an army, and he uses the crucible of fiery ordeals to forge into our lives the steel of godly character. The goal of the fiery ordeal and the purpose behind all suffering is not to destroy you, but to strengthen your faith and refine your character. Why? So you will not falter in the face of the enemy. So that you will persevere to victory for the glory of God in advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we rejoice not in the suffering itself, but for what it produces. I think of the great old hymn, How Firm a Foundation. Listen to this verse. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. In Bible days, the metalsmith knew he had pure gold or silver when he saw his face reflected in the metal, that melted metal as in a mirror. God's purpose in the fiery ordeal is to remove the impurities from your life. Why? So that he can see his face reflected in your life. And this is the reason to exult and rejoice. Amen. Would you bow with me in prayer? I want, to, want us to have just a very brief time of prayer right now in response to this. Let me ask. This wasn't 
the primary point of the message, but I did allude to it, especially early on, about how Peter came to the place as a result of his denial that for him, hope for recovery was gone. There may be some believers here. You know you have failed God. You know that you have denied Christ. Maybe not in the same way Peter did, but by your actions. There may be things that you're participating in, that you're engaged in, that really no other person knows about, but God knows. And that's what brings that guilt, that shame. And maybe you think you're just beyond that point of no return. And I hope in Peter's example you've seen there can always be a new beginning with God. And so would you be willing right now, if that's you, to finally come out of hiding, to expose yourself in your nakedness before God, in your sin, acknowledging your failure, acknowledging your denial, receiving the forgiveness that he's already secured for you, and this morning, return to him as your first love by turning away from everything, everything that would hinder him from being first place in your life. And then we've talked about the fact that God is a refining fire. As you continue to pray, listen to this carefully, and then I'm going to ask you to pray in a particular way. You need to understand that when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible teaches that his blood literally sanctified the cross. It transformed that cross, that instrument of execution, into an altar where believers are to surrender our lives. The Bible talks about it's on that cross where Jesus died. We, too, are to lay our lives as living sacrifices. And the Bible also teaches the only reason God can accept our living sacrifice, the only reason he can see it as a holy sacrifice is because of that blood of Jesus that sanctified the cross, transforming it into that altar of justification, sanctification, glorification for all who touch it, embrace it through faith in Jesus Christ. And so what I'm going to invite you to do right now, would you lay your life, all you are, all you possess on that altar of the cross as a living sacrifice and absolute surrender to God. And then, this is what I want you to ask God to do. God, as I have laid my life as a living sacrifice on that cross, I'm asking you for the fire of your holiness to fall on my sacrifice, my living sacrifice. 
Not to consume me in your wrath, for there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Consume the sin in my life. Consume that which is worthless in my life. Consume everything that's keeping me from knowing your best, from making you first place, from being used of you, to be an instrument, to extend your presence, to express your character, to execute your will, advance your gospel. So I'm going to give you a few moments right now. Would you do that, Lord? I surrender my life as a living sacrifice on the altar of the cross, and I ask you now as a refiner's fire to let your fire fall on me. Make me thy fuel, O flame of God, that I might burn bright for you. And Lord, only you can do that work. I can't. And then as you maintain that attitude of prayer, we're going to close the service by just singing together a beautiful chorus entitled Refiner's Fire. And listen to the words as you maintain that attitude of prayer. And I pray this will be our prayer today as we close the service. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart, let me be as gold, pure gold. Refiner's fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy. Set me apart for you, Lord. I choose to be holy. Set me apart for you, my master, ready to do your will. Purify my heart, cleanse me from within and make me holy. Purify my heart, cleanse me from my sin, deep. Would you stand now and let's unite our hearts in singing this? I'll be at the front to greet anyone that has a decision of any nature, a public profession of faith, desiring to unite with the church family. But let's praise him now.